Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Today's guest is Jamie Hodari, CEO of Industrious, who will be speaking on welcoming the whole person, the importance of creating an inclusive workplace. Hi, everyone. I want to uh, welcome you to this uh, session. Um, it's, it's my pleasure to introduce the CEO and co-founder of Industrious, Jamie Hodari. Um, I've had the honor and the pleasure to be in, in a many different industrial spaces and when we talk about redefining what a workspace looks like and how welcoming and how inviting it is, um, I, in my opinion, Industrious is the leader of that pack. And so um, with zero further ado, I'd like to introduce Jamie. Thank you. Pardon, I, I'm gonna have notes because I actually, um, I originally was gonna do something a little more philosophical and kind of high level, but I was just looking through the schedule for, for, for all the various sort of talks people are giving, and there was a lot about data around what people want out of their workplaces, et cetera. So I opted to go for something pretty practical, which I think will be hopefully useful about what it looks like to design and run a welcoming workplace that really serves the whole person. So just to preview it, there is a secret inside uh, like framework for design that is this pyramid that we developed about six years ago and have been refining and refining and refining. I've never talked about it publicly before, but I felt like now is a good moment and, and it's certainly been useful to us. So I hope it's useful to all of you. But um, okay, so the two seconds of background on Industrious is that we are one of the largest workplace providers um, in the country, we have about 150 locations across 50 something cities. Uh, and I think we take very seriously what this industry is about at its core, which is to say, uh, you are delivering for, for your clients the day-to-day -day work experience of their employees. And that's, um, it's a high responsibility. It's something even a little intimate where you're, where you're really partnering with a company and you have to, you have to honor that uh, in working with them. And one of the most important things we have to do is to make sure we help make sure that their workplaces are inviting and welcoming to as many people as possible. And then the, the last thing I'll say about Industrious is that we also have a different business model than the rest of our industry. We sign partnership agreements with landlords instead of leases, which doubly makes what I just said true. Because now it means on behalf of Brookfield or Blackstone or someone who has spent 20 years with you know, a group of their cousins buying one office building in Seattle, um, that we need to make sure that the workplaces in their building are places that are comfortable, great places to work for again, for, for as many people as possible. So I'm gonna talk for one second about what it means to serve the whole person and then get into this framework. Um, so this is intuitive, but I think people do often miss it, which is you can't actually be lots of different People. Like, you know, there's a way that people traditionally talk about the workplace, which is you have your home self and your work self. And there's a lot of psychological research that says you are just who you are. And then there's an enormous mental tax of having to, in different settings, adjust that to conform to whatever the expectations of that space are. And so the best thing in a company can do for its employees in a workplace or a workplace provider like us can do for our clients is to create workplaces that as much as possible are comfortable inviting spaces that don't require people as much as possible to have to do that every day, all day, in and out. Um, and I think that is true in the extreme right now. I mean, it has always been true, 
Uh, but in, in the current world we live in, where you're going to work from home some days a week, you're going to come into the office a few days a week, you know, people might go to yoga and then come back, you know, for one hour. Um, it is even more true that the boundaries between different parts of our lives have blurred a lot. Uh, and I don't really, I can't opine on if that's a good or bad thing, but it is definitely happening. And I do think um, it's certainly worth saying that that concept of what's professional or unprofessional, whether it comes to hairstyles or dress or the way you talk or what you do, has done a lot of dirty work over the years. And certainly I personally feel like if there's an opening of the aperture for that, that by and large, that's gonna be a good thing. Um, so how have tr workplaces traditionally been designed? They've traditionally been designed for sort of productivity and efficiency. And I mean productivity in a very narrow sense of the term. It's about how do you get the most out of your teams, not how do you get the best out of your teams. How do you get the most widgets of output for, for hours of labor input? Um, and there's a, there's a oversight component of it. You want to go to the workplace so that it's a communal space that the company can kind of watch and make sure that people are in certain ways conforming to XYZ sort of set of expectations. And that's, I think, a really unpleasant place to work. And it has made for some not great workplaces. And what oftentimes happens is I think people don't like their workplace. And then architects or designers, rather than trying to get to that fundamental issue, will try to design on top of it. They'll try to make somewhere beautiful. They'll try to make somewhere that seems, you know, that aesthetically wows you. And if anything, it exacerbates this problem. Because you think about yourself and you might be like, I'm not a marble person. I'm not into impressive and oppressive. I'm into inviting and warm. You know, if I throw a dinner party, I want it to be a warm, welcoming place where people can let their hair down and be themselves. And the point is not to impress them with my cooking and to make them feel like they're being watched like a hawk. And so the challenge is to create workplaces that are like that dinner party where you can really be yourself versus the one where you're running to the bathroom to Google which one is the fish knife or what batarga is or something like that. And I don't actually think it's that hard to design a workplace with that same outcome. It just takes a lot of intent. So that intent. This is the core pyramid. And the reason I think this is helpful is there's an Albert Einstein quote about if you want to solve a, uh, you know, a problem, you spend 59 minutes defining what the problem is and one minute crafting the solution. And when you're thinking about the workplace experience for your employees, for your colleagues, it is very important to start with what are we actually solving for here. And the reason I like a pyramid versus a circle or something else is implicit in that. You don't get to move to the next layer of the pyramid until you've started, until you've satisfied the preceding layer. And I think this framework kind of works very well in that way. So let's start with comfort. Um, so workplaces have historically been designed by people who feel very comfortable, who are used to feeling comfortable in spaces. So they don't spend a lot of time on it because it might be that for them, you know, that's their whole world. They don't walk in and feel like, what am I supposed to do here and what's next and what's the expectation of me? Um, and so, a lot of workplaces don't start with this basic question. And there's a lot of power in simply starting with, uh, is someone going to be comfortable in this space? And I'm not talking about like, is the couch mushy so you can really 
you know, kind of kick your feet up. I mean, you know, we used to have a guy, Ian, in our Midtown Atlanta first location who was 77 years old and he would come every day and he would read the paper version of the Wall Street Journal for a couple hours and then he would go home. And he was just, an, let's say, a non-standard use of a co-working space. So eventually we asked him about it and I think we thought he was gonna say, I feel like a badass here. There's something aspirational. I feel like, you know, I retired and I, this still feels, this makes me feel like I'm in the game. And all he said was, I feel really comfortable here. And I actually tried this at two other shared workplaces before, and I just didn't. There was something about the music, the posters on the wall, the, you know, whatever, the way they did their programming that made me, that just made it very clear that this was not for me, that I was an outsider. And I don't mean then that you have to build a workplace to the lowest common denominator. I don't mean that a workplace has to be anodyne or substanceless so that no one could ever disagree with anything about it. But I do think too many workplaces that people think of as been, having been universally designed are really designed for 20 and 30 year old sort of males really. Um, so, I guess to finish on this and then let's move to the next, um, you were really trying to build a workplace where you start with saying, is this comfortable for the maximum number of people? So for example, right now a lot of people are talking about bringing people back to the office, so they're talking a lot about activations and, and events and things like that, and so they'll say, we want to do Martini Thursdays, and it, immediately the company will go to okay, you know, do we serve Tito's vodka or, or, or Kettle One to show that we're cool or to show that we're high-end instead of saying, what's it going to be like for the non-drinkers at the company? Is this going to be a comfortable event for them? What if someone's never heard of Kettle One? Are they going to feel like a rube for not having known that? And if you start with those questions and can get to a place where you feel like this space, this event is going to feel comfortable for as many people as possible, then you've earned the right to figure out whether it's Kettle One or Tito's that you're serving. Empowered. So this pyramid predates the pandemic, but let me just say this is probably the one that has transformed the most in the last couple years. So probably every one of you works for a company where you are moving towards saying employees have more say in where they work and when. So essentially empowering employees to make those decisions. So this is already happening anyway. What I would say is there's work to apply that to the actual workplace, um, where you say, what does it look like to empower people when they are at the office, to decide what, what types of spaces they want to be in, when, do they, you know, do they want silence, do they want noise, do they want to interact with their colleagues, do they want privacy? Um, and as simple as that is, most workplaces are not, are not empowering. Um, so, I, for example, I would think about amenities. Probably a lot of us work at companies or in buildings that have thought a lot about amenitization and what are amenities, and they usually think about kind of the top of the pyramid. What's a sexy, cool thing we can put in the building? But I would argue most amenities, like properly thought of, should be attacking this. Um, and if you think of it from that point of view, for example, all of a sudden things like lots of phone rooms or quiet spaces or focus rooms fly to the top of the list. Because if you give people the choice of how they want to spend their day, you hear that a lot from people. But they might be ugly. You know, a, a hallway of 20 focus rooms might be a lot uglier than a gorgeous, open, very sexy space. Um, but I promise you, your employees do not care about that in the end. That if you, if you build for spaces that empower them to do the type of work when they want to do it, they are going to come. 
And before I get to focus, I will say, if you do these first two layers, already you are a more welcoming workplace for a broader variety of people than 99% of workplaces. And people will come into the office and they will interact with their colleagues and they will sort of have the types of interactions that people are trying to engender in the workplace. So now we're getting to the nice to haves. I hope we all get there with all of our workplaces, but that's kind of the territory we're in now. So focus, it's not all the time. I'm talking about, you know, certain days you get to the end of the day and you're like, I don't know. I did a lot of things and it all felt like kind of disconnected um, sort of, you know, disparate tasks that didn't cohere into something greater. And you have days where you're like, man, I was in flow, in focus, whatever word you use for it. I can't believe how much I got done. And there, this is kind of that next layer of the pyramid. Um, and most workplaces are not designed for this at all. In fact, instead of being built to minimize distractions, they're oftentimes built to lard on additional distractions. Um, and I think for those of us who've now had the experience of working from home and being able to close the door, that's going to be even more, uh, even more painful. Um, so, and, 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 and I think in certain ways this does tie, I didn't want to get political or awkward with it, but to that earlier point about workplaces and sometimes being a place of oversight or, or surveillance, what we see with a lot of our clients is all the time, hopefully less now, but back in the day, all the time people would be worried about private spaces to retreat to because they'd say, are people just going to watch YouTube videos? Are they going to take a nap? The CEO, of course, the CEO should have their private space to retreat to, but there's a paranoia about that type of space for the broader company. Um, and the truth is, if they're not in the office, they're going to be working from home. And they can definitely watch YouTube videos if they want to watch YouTube videos. So hopefully people can sort of give up that fear and think about how do you give people space to focus as well as space to interact and, and things like that. I'll finish with inspired. So this isn't just a couple hours a day. This, this really only happens, hopefully, if you, you know, if, if you get it right, two, three times a week. Um, and we're talking about real inspiration here, and it is important. It's important for your business, it's important for your employees to feel fulfilled. Um, and there's not, there's not a ton you can do in design to accomplish this. There's basically two things. You can try to build beautiful spaces that will inspire people, that are transcendent, or you can try to build for human interactions that will inspire people. I mean, we're a workplace provider. We, we, you know, the pictures hopefully look nice. Like, we do care about aesthetics, but it's not the Taj Mahal. It's not the Sistine Chapel. We have to be realistic here. It's unlikely you're going to engender that kind of inspiration because you picked the right fountain, you know, or the right, um, you know, marble sort of uh, accoutrement. And so you are, for the most part, trying to f help your employees find inspiration through creating connections with their colleagues, which if you look at any of the survey data right now, everyone wants to go back, or let's say 80% of people want to go back to work at least a few days a week, and the majority of them want to go back because they want to be with their colleagues. And I guess I would say in a very practical way, most workplaces I walk into, it's clear to me that no one closed their eyes, so this would be my practical advice, and just said, what do those interactions look like? So there might be a vignette for 14 people of gorgeous couches and big wing-backed armchairs. And it's like, explain to me this 14-person conversation that's happening. You know, what, what, like if you really had to close your eyes, how, did, did 14 people go sit together? Did two people start? And did people sort of layer on one by one after that? Um, 
And, and I think it's clear oftentimes that just the simple act of trying to picture who exactly are these people, who on my team are they, what are they talking about, do they wish they were even closer, do they wish they had more space, are they worried about people overhearing them or not, um, will make it much easier to build those vignettes, those spaces in the workplace that actually drive interaction. And they might not be as captivating or as gorgeous as the big 30-person one, but they will actually drive the, that, those inspiring moments that you're actually trying to, trying to build for. So that's it. I don't know if there's time to answer a couple questions, um, but I will say um, this might have seemed simple, but again, it's the 59 minutes defining the problem. And of these four, it's starting with the bottom two. And if you do that, I guarantee for the most part, you will create workplaces. And this is not just physical design, in your programming, in the events you do, in the rules you set in your workplace. If you start with comfortable and empowered and force yourself to answer that in the affirmative before you get to move on to anything else, you will be creating workplaces that are more welcoming, more inviting, warmer places for a much broader set of people than, than what you know, most of the workplaces we would work in today are. Okay. Yes. So the question was, have any of those spaces, of these layers, been more influenced than the others by the pandemic? And the answer is, is empowered. I think um, all of them have been influenced in some way. What, what types of interactions do people want to have? People do want more focused space. You know, we are working with companies to help them not just create new workplaces, but to alter their existing ones or to figure out hub and spoke models. And you do need to answer all that. But I think the most important one is people have been given a choice and they are not going back to not having a choice. And therefore, you have to define this ever-branching tree of what are those choices we are going to give them about where to go and when, and once they're there, what they're going to do. One more? All right. Thanks, everyone. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org slash content to submit your idea.